Hey, this is episode 113. My name is John S. Pennington Jr. and you have arrived at the Big Bang Bible Podcast. This episode is entitled Evolution versus Creation. It's got a lot of science in it. It's got a lot of statistics. It's for you science nerds that like to put the Bible and science together. You're really going to like this one. Here we go. Do you have difficulty bringing science and religion together? Do you need analytics and logical fact patterns to organize the scriptures? Do you have a science professor who's trying to drive a wedge between you and your belief in God? On this show, we are on a voyage to merge, unite, and consolidate the gospel with new discoveries in statistics, evolution, the Big Bang Theory, and the Bible. Join me and follow along to answer these questions with a drop of my Latter-day Saint perspective. Welcome to the Big Bang Bible Podcast with me as your host, John S. Pennington Jr. All right, this is entitled Evolution versus Creation. In Genesis chapter 2, it gives us the ingredients God uses for life on earth. So listen to the ingredients that God uses to create life. If you listen really close, you might be able to pick them out. You ready? Okay, here we go. In verse 9, it says, Out of the ground made the Lord God grow every tree. But for the animals, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. It also says that out of the ground he formed every fowl in the air. Then we get to God's next to the last creation, which is man. Eve is actually the last creation. But the next to the last creation is man. It says, God put up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. All right, did anyone catch that? Did you pick that up? Was it difficult to decipher? Okay, I'm going to summarize for you. The trees came from the ground. The beasts came from the ground. The fowl in the air came from the ground. And man came from the dust of the ground with a little mist on top of that ground. Keyword is ground and some water or mist. I had a friend ask me one time, are you trying to tell me that all life on earth came from the same substance? And my reply was, hey, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just reading it. So it's not me that's telling you that everything came from the same ingredients. It's the Bible telling you that all life came from the same ingredients. The other ingredient is time. And many people, when they read the book of Genesis, never put in the element of time as an ingredient. When I talk to my atheist friends about this, I always ask them, how did Moses get this so right? Because atheists believe that Moses was just writing fiction. If that is true, then how did he guess so correctly? Genesis and the book of Moses say that there were six time periods of creation called days. Now let's do the timeline backwards. On the sixth day, God created cattle, creeping things, and then God created man, and his last creation was Eve. On the fifth day, the waters brought forth moving creatures, whales, and fowl, that they may fly. On the fourth day, God created the great two lights, the moon and the sun. On the third day, God created the plants. On the second day, God created the firmament in the midst that it divideth the waters with some water below and the other water above. And on the first day, God created light. All right, I'm not sure if you put this together, but the order of creation in Genesis is very accurate. 
The story of science and the story of Genesis coincide. Wow. When Moses wrote Genesis, he was pretty much in agreement with the order in which the earth and life has evolved. So I say to my atheist friends, how did Moses do it? If he was just writing fiction, then how did he get it so correct? For instance, Moses says that in the first day God created light. But note that Moses did not create the sun and the moon until the fourth day. Please take note what Moses does not say. He does not say that the sun was created in the first day. He says that light was created in the first day. Wow, again. The Big Bang Theory says that the first thing that happened was a Big Bang of energy that created forms of light and energy. Then the Big Bang Theory says that the second thing that happened was that this light and energy created vast clouds of particles. Now, compare that to Moses, because he says that the second thing that happened, he says that the firmament was created and the firmament separated the water, with some water above the firmament and the other water below the firmament. Firmament is another name for clouds. So if Moses is just a man writing some fictitious book, then why would he say that light was created four whole days before the sun and the moon were created. How would he put that together if he was just making it all up? If my atheist friends are correct, and Moses is just making it all up, then they have to conclude that Moses was just sitting on some rock and saw some majestic bird fly overhead, and Moses guessed, that bird was from the ground. Yeah, let's write that down. Yeah, that's really good. That's really, really good. The question is, how does anyone look at a bird and say that it came from the ground? It is a correct statement, but how did Moses put that together? Now, it's like watching some huge 777 jet airplane fly over your head and you say, that jet came from the ground. You are correct. The metal came from the ground, the plastic came from the ground, the glass in the windows came from sand or the ground, the jet fuel came from the ground. So to say that the jet airplane came from the ground is correct. But how would a man with a 1300 BC education ever put that together and be so right? Now, let's put this into perspective. I say to you, Please write an essay summarizing the 14 billion year history of the universe and life on Earth and do it in four pages. Ready? Go. Because that is what Moses did. He summarized 14 billion years in the first two chapters of the Bible. And I think he did a really, really, really great job considering he only had a few pieces of paper to cram a lot of information in. Are there parts missing? Of course. No one can explain a complete 14 billion year history or story in just four pages and think they're going to get every detail explained. How did Moses determine that man, birds, beasts, and trees, all life, came from the same substance? But even more impressive, how did he know that our sun and moon was not created until the universe was almost 9 billion years old. 
and that light was created almost 9 billion years before our sun and moon was created. If the universe is almost 14 billion years old, and the sun and the moon are only 4.5 to 5 billion years old, and the book of Genesis says that the sun and the moon are created on the fourth day of a sixth-day creation schedule, it would seem like Moses got really, really, really lucky if my atheist friends are correct. What are the odds that Moses would have guessed that part so right? It is pretty astonishing for a guy who's just making it all up, writing fiction, so my atheist friends claim. My atheist friends have never given me an answer to that question. I'm still waiting because my atheist friends have never thought of it that way or from that perspective. So over the years, I have learned that creating doubt in an atheist is not as difficult as one might think. You see, the more I learn about science, the more I learn about God. And in this example, science is helping me prove that Moses did talk to God. Because there's no other way that Moses could have obtained these historical facts on the creation of the universe. Moses did such a great job of summarizing the 14 billion years in just a few pages. So that is what I say to my atheist friends. But I just want to make a note here. Just to put the number 1 billion into context. All right, if I gave you $1 per second, that's $60 per minute, or $3,600 per hour, wouldn't that be great to have an hourly wage like that? Or, in other words, $86,400 per day, it would take me almost 32 years to give you a billion dollars. In other words, if you wanted to count to 1 billion at the pace of one number per second, it would take you 32 years to count to 1 billion. Or in other words, a billion seconds is approximately 32 years. So a billion is a very large number. Now here is what I say to my Christian friends, my Protestant friends, my Catholic friends, and my Mormon friends. I say, friends, when you say that God could not have used evolution to make the body of Adam, are you sure you're using the term could not have correctly? Or are you saying that God would not have used evolution to create Adam's body? Or maybe you mean that God could have used evolution to create Adam's body, but you believe he did not use evolution to accomplish this outcome. Well, if that is what you're saying, then what you just said and what I just heard was that you admitted that it is possible that God could have used evolution to create the body of Adam. Because you would never say that God could not have done it that way. Could not is not the correct term when you are talking about the powers of God. And 100% of my Protestant friends and 100% of my Catholic friends and 100% of my Mormon friends eventually agree with that statement. And therefore, this means that the possibility exists that God, if he had wanted to, he could have made Adam's body evolve over time from the same substance as where the trees, the fowl, and the beasts came from. Now, I need to make a distinction here that the body that houses Adam's spirit was not created inside the Garden of Eden. Let me repeat. 
before Adam's spirit was placed into Adam's body, that body was not in the Garden of Eden. It was first created outside the Garden of Eden. Here are a few scriptures that will help us on this subject. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, and I quote, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, unquote. All right, did you catch that? The Lord God formed the body of man from the dust of the ground, and once the body was ready, then and only then did God make it a living soul. And then God built a garden and placed the man in the garden. What God does not tell us is how long it took God to make the body for Adam's spirit. God does not give us the details on the method and the length of time it took him to take some dust of the ground with some water or mist over that ground and come up with a man's body. He does not tell us. Just like it would be difficult for me to explain how a jet airplane came from the ground. It would take me volumes and volumes of books to explain how long and exactly how humans were able to create a jet airplane from the ground. So Moses just summarizes. God had some materials that he had previously created called the ground and the mist. He used those materials over a large amount of time. And finally, after he had created the plants, after he had created the fish, after he had created the beasts, and after he had created the fowl, then and only then did he create a body that was in his own image. Then after the body was formed correctly, correctly enough to receive a spirit child of God, once it was ready, then and only then did he put into it Adam's spirit into that body. This all happened before the Garden of Eden. I just need to stop here and make a note on the term dust of the ground. Moses, while writing the book of Genesis, uses the term dust of the ground for the elements that make up Adam's body. I'm not exactly sure if God told Moses exactly how the body was created from DNA and the elements, or maybe Moses did receive the exact knowledge right down to the DNA and the elements. I'm not sure. But Moses knew he was going to be presenting this concept to an uneducated audience, and maybe Moses decided not to go into the detail because his audience would not understand. The smallest particle known to the people living in 1300 BC was the term dust. So rather than go into a detailed discussion on DNA and carbon and nitrogen and oxygen, and the periodic table, etc., Moses uses a term that everyone would understand as the smallest known particle. Moses uses the word dust or dust of the ground to convey the general concept and overall message of where Adam's body came from and leaves it at that. He summarizes because he has to. He only has four pages of the book to summarize 14 billion years. Just like I would summarize the explanation of a jet airplane that comes from the elements on the periodic table. If I only had four pages to do that, I doubt I could do a better job than Moses did. Therefore, 
from a certain perspective, evolution and the book of Genesis are agreeing on this one subject. Evolution says that our bodies originally came from the elements of carbon, nitrogen, etc., dirt and water, and some burst of energy. Now compare that to Genesis. Genesis says that we came from the dust of the ground mixed with the water and the power of God. The main difference is evolution tries to tell us exactly how long it took to create the body of man, and the Bible gives us a time period called the sixth day. God just tells us that he made the body of man, not how he made the body of man, and not how much time it took him to make the body of man. This all happened before Adam was brought into the Garden of Eden. The question is, what is the time period between the time God created the body of Adam and when man became a living soul? How much time passed while God was creating the body? When it says that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, how long did that take? How much time passed while the forming of Adam's body from the dust of the ground? The one ingredient that most people miss when reading the book of Genesis is the ingredient of time. Most people never give God any time to work out his plan. Now, I have Mormon friends and Protestant friends that believe that the time periods of the first day and the second day and the third day and so on spoken of in the beginning of Genesis are referring to six 24-hour periods of time. Some of my very orthodox Mormon friends and very orthodox Protestant friends believe the whole universe was created in six 24-hour periods of time, or 144 total hours. From the creation of the light right up to the creation of Eve, they believe it took 144 hours. I have two answers for this. First, if God did create all the beasts and the fowl and the man in the sixth day, as Genesis says, and if that day was only 24 hours and not hundreds of millions of years, if it was that easy to create all of that just in 24 hours, then why would God need Noah? Why did Noah have to do all that? If God created all the animals, fowl, and man in just 24 hours, then he would not have had to have Noah build an ark. That would be unnecessary because he could recreate it all in just 24 hours, just like he did in the sixth day. But God knows it takes a long, long time to create beasts, fowl, and eventually man. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. And rather than just truly start over, he has Noah build an ark. Because it takes large amounts of time to create an earth that is teeming with life, such as animals, birds, and man. My second answer, which is specific to my Mormon friends in reference to a letter written on Christmas Day in the year 1844 from Joseph Smith's personal secretary, Mr. W.W. Phelps, who is writing this letter to Joseph Smith's brother, William Smith. Here is a quote from that letter, which I would like to glean a few interesting items in regards to the elements of time and how old our universe is. It says, and I quote, Well now, Brother William, when the house of Israel begins to come into the glorious mysteries of the kingdom and find that Jesus Christ, whose goings forth, as the prophets have said, have been from old, from eternity, and that eternity 
agreeable to the records found in the catacombs of Egypt, has been going on in this system, not this world, almost 2,555 millions of years, unquote. Okay, did you catch that? The letter says that eternity, the word eternity, is 2.555 billion years. Most people use the word eternity as a synonym for the word infinity. So the first thing I want you to know from this letter is that eternity does not mean infinity. Eternity is fixed period of time. The second thing that I want to point out is that I believe that W.W. Phelps, who is Joseph Smith's personal secretary, and Joseph Smith's brother, who is William Smith, did not come up with this on their own. My personal belief is that they are referencing something that Joseph Smith taught on an earlier date to them because they say, and I quote, agreeably to the records found in the catacombs of Egypt, unquote. Referring to some Egyptian translation that only Joseph Smith had a gift for doing. And if that is true, then Joseph Smith was the first religious leader that I know of that was using the word billions of years to describe creation process. Most scientists in Joseph Smith's time were using a mere 100 million year figure when they speak about the age of the earth and the universe. Brother Bruce R. McConkie commented on this letter in his book, The Mortal Messiah, and Boyd K. Packer commented on this letter also in a general conference address. The point I am trying to make is that if you believe everything was created in just six 24-hour periods of time, then I believe you are probably not in sync with Brother Bruce R. McConkie, Boyd K. Packer, Joseph Smith, W.W. Phelps, and William Smith on this subject. Meaning, if they were here today, they would probably disagree with you on this one item. Here is a hypothetical situation. Okay, you exist in some way as a spirit billions and billions of years ago. And let's imagine that this is all before God created this universe. You're sitting there with God, and he turns to you and asks you, have you ever felt the warmth of sunshine? You, of course, say no. Then he asks you, have you ever swam across a river? And you, of course, say no. He asks you, have you ever tasted a hot apple pie right out of the oven with whipped cream on top? You say that you've never tasted anything. You're just a spirit and have no physical body. God says, I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to make or create a hot apple pie for you because I want you to have the experience of eating and tasting the delicious flavor of an apple pie with whipped cream. Now, as you contemplate evolution versus creation, do you think God then just snaps his fingers and there's a hot apple pie with whipped cream right in front of you? Right out of thin air? And not only is there a hot apple pie in front of you, but in a snap of a finger, your spirit was thrust into a physical body with taste buds and a palate so that you can now eat food and taste a hot apple pie. Who listening to my voice right now believes God would accomplish his goals by the snap of the finger? Or would God use natural laws? Would God say, I'm going to need an apple tree, some wheat, some sugar, a cow to make cream from, and a heat source or fire to cook it? And to get all of that stuff, I'm going to need an Earth-type planet 
that can grow such food items, and a man to till the ground and harvest the water and the crops and build ovens to cook it in. And for me to have an earth that can do all this, the earth would need a sun to give life to the plants and the animals, and the earth would need a moon to give it balance as it spins to allow regular, consistent temperatures, and so on and so on. God would make a checklist using natural laws. Who, listening to my voice right now, believes God might accomplish his goals this way and not use the snap of the finger method? Now listen, I'm not saying that God could not have done it that way, but I'm asking you if you think God would have done it that way. The late astrophysicist Carl Sagan said, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, you would first have to create the entire universe. Think about that for a moment. Very interesting. Now let's continue on and talk about the science of evolution. And I use the word science as a precise description. Science does not know exactly how life started on the planet Earth. It either came from an asteroid or it began here on Earth. And if science one day does prove that asteroids delivered bacteria to the Earth, then Genesis stating that plants were created on the third day instead of the fourth day before the sun and the moon, if that is what happened, then that would show once again how right Moses was. If that is proven, then my atheist friends will have one more question that they can't answer about Moses and how correct he was. Now, some scientists contend that life started on Earth. The actual start of life on Earth is still a mystery to science. But the evolution of life on Earth is not a mystery at all. There is no controversy on that subject. But if life began here on Earth, then the elements of carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, water, and many others somehow get a burst of energy from somewhere. It might have been a lightning strike, a volcano at the bottom of the ocean, heat from the sun. But some type of energy illuminates the pool of elements and life begins on planet Earth. Therefore, why do so many of us believe it took no time at all to create the body that was eventually developed to house the spirit of Adam? Why do they believe God just snapped his fingers and it was done? You see, we never give God any time in the creation story. Okay, turn to Abraham chapter 4, because I want to get this time thing etched into your mind. Most of us do not give God any time. We pray for things, and we want the answers right now. We want the answers today. We believe that God answers our prayers and should do so without the consideration of any passage of time. I believe this is an error in summarizing who and how God operates. When I read the scriptures, I do not see the verses and the passages that tell us anything that would lead us to believe that God works in this manner. But it is astonishing that most of us believe in the snap of the finger theory. However, we have very few actual scripture stories based on this assumption. Okay, this is chapter 4 of Abraham, verse 9, the last sentence. He's talking about the creation in Abraham, and he says, and I quote, and it was as they obeyed. Okay, the last sentence of verse 10, quote, 
God saw that they were obeyed, unquote. The last sentence of verse 12, God saw that they were obeyed, unquote. The last sentence of verse 21, quote, and the God saw that they would be obeyed and that their plan was good, unquote. Now, read the whole verse of Abraham chapter 4, verse 18. This is where the whole thing, the whole timing thing comes in. Chapter 4 of Abraham, verse 18, and I quote, And the gods watched those things which they had ordered until they obeyed, unquote. Therefore, it is my assumption that if they watched until they were obeyed, then there must have been some passage of time while they were watching. It says it took time. So was Adam in the garden one day, one year, 100 years, 100 million years, while the rest of the earth outside of the Garden of Eden was evolving? How long was Adam in the garden? Now, let me change gears here for just a second. The following is an example of an erroneous interpretation of the Bible. At one time in history, all the Christian world believed that the earth was in the center of the universe and the sun went around the earth. Biblical references are Psalms 93.1, Psalms 96.10, and 1 Chronicles 16.30. They include texts stating that, and I quote, the world is firmly established, it cannot be moved, unquote. In the same manner, Psalms 104 verse 5 says, and I quote, the Lord set the earth on its foundation, it can never be moved, unquote. Also, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 5 states, and I quote, And the sun rises and sets and returns to its place, unquote. These scriptures are all true scriptures from the context in which they were written. But then Copernicus comes along in the mid-1500s, and he said that the earth travels around the sun. This was in contrast to the interpretation of the Bible scriptures. Because of this theory, Copernicus's church threatened to excommunicate him for teaching things contrary to the Bible. Copernicus had evidence that his theory was correct, so in reality, his church was going to excommunicate him for telling the truth. Wow, what a perfect example of irony, a church threatening excommunication for teaching the truth. Later, in the early 1600s, Galileo supported the Copernican theory, and he was found guilty of heresy and threatened with torture to redact his theory. Then Johannes Kepler, a contemporary of Galileo, mathematically proved elliptical orbits and therefore could predict the movements of the planets. But his writings for a time were locked up, not for publication. This was all because of the incorrect interpretation of Old Testament scriptures that I've listed above. As we now know, the Copernican theory became a fact with the evidence presented by Johannes Kepler and Galileo. The Earth does orbit the Sun. This is no longer a theory. It is clear that before God could put Adam's spirit into that body, God needed to make sure the body was correct and right. It had to be very particular in nature. It had to be in the image of God. There had to be a particular type of body that could house Adam's spirit, or that could accept Adam's spirit. So go to the book of Mark in the Bible and remember the story of the man named Legion who had many unclean spirits crammed inside of him. 
Now, these unclean spirits that were from the pre-earth life, these were the spirits that lost the war in heaven. These are your brothers and sisters in spirit, as they are all children spirits of God the Father, but they didn't get a body because they lost the war in heaven. So these spirits somehow cram themselves into the man named Legion, and Jesus instructs the many spirits to leave the man named Legion's body. And the interesting thing is the spirits believe it's possible to live inside a pig's body. Now, I don't know how they came to that assumption, but they did. So they did ask Jesus to unlock the key or the combination so that the pig's bodies would accept or allow their spirits to enter. And Jesus said, sure, go ahead. I will make it so your spirits can get inside the pig's bodies. So these many spirits leave Legion's body and they go over to the pig's bodies. And the book of Mark says that once the spirits go inside the pigs, then the whole herd goes crazy. And these pigs run right down the side of the mountain into the sea and drown themselves. And therefore, the spirits that occupied the pigs' bodies had to leave those bodies as soon as those bodies were not breathing. Because mammals cannot breathe H2O. The point is, a pig's body is not sophisticated enough or complex enough to host a spirit child of God. But the interesting thing is that these spirits thought it was possible to live in such a body, a body that was not in the image of God. All right, summarizing, evolution says all life was formed from water, elements, and some energy. Genesis says all life came from the ground and the dust of the ground with a mist of water and the power of God. Evolution says it took billions of years for life to develop on earth, and man was the last creation. Genesis says it took six days of creation, and all life was created in three of the six days, and Joseph Smith taught it took billions of years. Evolution says Life was created from very tiny elements started with some burst of energy like lightning or volcano or sunlight. Genesis says man was created from very tiny particles named the dust of the ground and God was the cause of that creation. The Big Bang Theory says creation began approximately 14 billion years ago. Now note this. God rested on the seventh day. The seventh day is not finished. Genesis puts a bookend on each of the first six days. That is, day one, and that is day two, etc., etc. But the seventh day is still open. There is nothing that says that the seventh day is finished or complete. Therefore, Genesis is inferring that the seventh day started right after Adam and Eve were created and is still going on. If that is true, and if the term eternity does not mean infinity, then I have a possible timeline. Assuming that eternity is a period of time, and that period is 2.555 billion years, and all creation in the Bible came forth in the first six days, or six time periods, and if I multiply 2.555 billion years with the six time periods, I come up with 15.33 billion years. 
Now, I know that my calculation is a little over 1 billion years more than compared to the Big Bang Theory. But the Big Bang Theory never considers the time before the actual Big Bang. It does not address how long it took to generate enough energy to start the Big Bang explosion. And maybe, from God's point of view, it may have taken a half a day, which would be 1.25 billion years, to accumulate enough energy for the Big Bang to go bang. Then if that is true, then my 15.33 billion year calculation would be correct. Six time periods, each being 2.55 billion years. It's just a thought. It may fit or may not fit. You see, when I read the Bible story, it all fits together with science. All you need to do is differentiate the creation of the spirit of man from the creation of the physical body of Adam and then give God some time and allow things to be created. What is strange to me is that there are people that believe in the Big Bang Theory and don't believe in God. If you believe in the Big Bang Theory, then you should believe in God. How can you believe in the Big Bang Theory and not see God everywhere? If the Big Bang Theory is true, then that is the best evidence that God does exist. Think about it. There was nothing in the universe. Then there was an unimaginable burst of energy smaller than a head of a pin that had so much energy that all the energy turned into matter within seconds and created all the basic elements and building blocks in the known universe, all from an energy source smaller than the size of a pinhead. That seems to me to prove there's a God. All right, let's go back to the Copernicus story. When his book first came out as a theory, then other men— Galileo and Kepler used scientific calculations to prove that his theory was a fact, it is mathematically and physically been proven, and therefore the theory of Copernicus stopped being a theory and became a fact. And today, we know the Earth does go around the sun. Evolution has come to the same point. It was a theory. It no longer is a theory. There is no controversy. But this is the part I'm worried about. I'm worried that our children are going off to college, learning about evolution, and we have drilled into their heads that if they believe in evolution, then they are not Christian. They return from college, then sort of stop going to church because they think it is an ultimatum. It is a either-or choice. But this line of thinking is false. I believe this is the reason why many religions inside the United States are dwindling in numbers, because someone has told our young people that to be a Christian, you cannot believe in evolution. That is not true, because I'm a Christian, I believe in Christ, and I also know that evolution happened on this planet. Please, please remember the epitome of ignorance is rejecting something solely on the basis that you know nothing about it. That is the epitome of the word ignorance. I live in the 21st century, and looking back in time, I wonder if my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was one of those people who ridiculed Copernicus for his theory without ever spending any serious investigation on his valid scientific observations. I think about if I had a chance to go back in time and talk to my great ancestor and say to him, 
You could see the moon. You could see that the moon was round. You could see with the shadows on the moon that it must have been a spherical-shaped object. You could see the sun in the sky. It's also round. You could observe or read about lunar eclipses. You could see the sun move across the sky each day. But why did you not ever consider the possibility that Copernicus was correct if you only would have investigated the evidence? The answer probably is that my great ancestor had read the Bible one way and would not consider anything that would contradict his assumption in the scriptures because someone must have told him that the Bible said this or that. Therefore, he may have decided to condemn Copernicus rather than actually looking at the evidence for himself. Now, I kind of chuckle and laugh at my great ancestor for not seeing that the earth really did go around the sun. It seems like a simple thing to get once you have seen the evidence. Now, switch your mind and don't think about Copernicus, who is 500 years in our past. Let's go forward 500 years in the future, and let's talk to your great-great-great-great-grandson. Ask yourself, is my great-great-great-great-grandson going to look back at me and chuckle at me about evolution? He might say to me, great-great-great-great-grandfather, you had so much evidence that evolution did happen. Why did you not accept the evolution evidence and then see how it could have fit into God's overall design? This seems like a fair and pertinent question because Moses is correct in his four-page summary on the 14-billion-year history of the universe. Jesus is the Christ, and this universe is fantastic. And to my grandchildren who listen to this, I do not care if you believe in evolution or not. What I care about is your relationship with God, your belief in Christ, and your earthly pursuit for truly mastering the full meaning of the word charity. And I say this in the name of Christ. Amen. For future reference, this was entitled Evolution versus Creation.